You're listening to the All My Friends podcast. I'm your host Liam Oliver and this week's guest is Chloe Jeffries from Climate Emergency Manchester. We're going to be chatting about creating a greener, more sustainable Manchester. If you're watching or listening, please do subscribe. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, Chloe Jeffries. Welcome to the AMF podcast. I'm really excited to have you on the show today to chat about Climate Emergency Manchester and how your organisation is campaigning to create a more sustainable Manchester and country. I hope you are well. Uh, I'd like to kick off the podcast with a little bit of an icebreaker. Um, AMF is a Manchester music and culture blog. So before we get into the climate emergency things, let's just have a bit of a rundown of your favourite haunts in the city. Where do you like to go out drinking? Um, do you have any favourite bars or restaurants? And have you got any amazing musical memories you've had in Manchester? You know, anything that really comes to the fore uh, for you as a as a, a gig goer and a, a bar and restaurant patron? Yeah, absolutely. Um, always happy to talk about music. That could be another podcast interview in its own right, just focused on that. Um, lots of places. I guess I've, I've been in Manchester almost five years to the day, actually. And okay. since then, I, t I often like quite kind of small venues. Um, and even in that time, I've seen quite a few kind of come and go, which is quite quite interesting or ones that were quite short-lived as gig spaces so um, um, went to some really good ones at um, a place that was just near um, Shoot Hill called The Wonder Inn. Um, it was a little bar but kind of just did a couple of uh, you know things in a backroom space you know quite quite lo-fi fairy lights but they had had some really good really good people on mm -hmm. and it's kind of on my mind because again this week um i've just heard that another space that i've been to some really good nights at is is moving um you know partisan up on um cheetah mill road mm -hmm. yeah so um some really good nights in their basement um and like the kind of the, the kind of caliber of people they got so um i saw prosumer play there mm -hmm. and i was like this is crazy like you know this is um someone who you know would play all the you know headline all the big clubs in berlin is like and he's now on cheatham hill road yeah. so uh yeah so that was that was nice um and then i guess the other kind of like gig or night or space that i'd like to kind of probably give a shout out to is um the carlton club which is in woolly range um which is an interesting space because it's not the kind of like sleek chrome or you know surfaces of some of the bits in the city centre it's a bit more of a kind of like um sort of a, a carpeted um sort of space bit of a kind of old pub club but they do some really good nights there mm -hmm. um and one that i um go to that used to be a kind of monthly friday friday night thing is um psychedelic discotheque mm -hmm. um which is a really good little uh little night really kind of friendly community um it's kind of friends who get all the lights. They've got some really, really good visuals there. So um, yeah, it's got, it's got a nice atmosphere. Um, and it's kind of away from all the other bars. So, you know, when you come out, there's not kind of like, you know, the streets aren't full, but um, all that's a little bit um, on pause for now, of yeah. course. But um, yeah, it's been interesting to see that places a bit like the Carlton Club are trying to get 
other events in there that aren't music. So um, I heard this week that um, they're, they're going to start doing a car boot there, which um, for anybody who likes a bargain, I think could be quite fun. Um, and yeah, just like having to think a bit more creatively and a bit different at a time when, um, yeah, a kind of... Uh, kind of sweaty club night's not really not really gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. I well I put off every every sort of festival or every sort of plan in that sort of sphere until at least next year. Uh, but we do have a bumpy year, me and my girlfriend have a bumpy year plan next year with festivals booked already. Fingers crossed, we never know, we just have to see how it goes. But um, I went to the partisan opening event as well and that was really cool. And I know that they're moving. I'm not sure where they're going. I get I get emails quite often about their um, the open uh, forum meetings, but I haven't, I haven't managed to make one even digitally. Um, and the wondering as well, I used to live next to the co-op buildings. I've moved now. Um, so oh, amazing. Yeah. So you remember the wandering? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was something that was so fleeting as well. I think it was only open yeah. less, less than a year maybe, but um, yeah, yeah. my friend managed it. Um, and we never went to gigs there, but I always went for beers because it was a really nice, and it, you know, it was sort of in, in the middle of that crossroads across from the Arndale, but it was a, it was like a really, really cool venue. Um, yeah, and I'm really sad that's gone as well. I mean, it's probably going to get turned into develop into um, into flats by developers, which is another podcast. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it was it was a really nice space, and I don't even think it was kind of advertised as a gig venue. Like the things I went there were kind of like. I mean, it was a bit, it was a bit nostalgic. It was, you signed up and then they, they texted you the location on the, on the night. But um, yeah, it was, it was a really good little gem. And I think it's quite, uh, quite a good little case study of what, what happens to small places in the city centre of Manchester. Yeah, yeah. And the last point is the Carlton Club, which I've not been to yet, but I, I'm, I know some of the people who are now running it and doing the bookings for it. So it's something that I need to go down to. Um, I was in Charlton last week, actually, but we just went out uh, to meet some friends for some beers, which by Monday, that might not be happening either, but it's definitely on my radar. Um, so it's really cool that you mentioned it because it is somewhere that I'd like to, to get to. And there's a boots uh, that's going to be happening there. And um, it looks a bit like Antwerp Mansion, if you've ever been. Is that the yeah. similar vibe? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's that type of vibe. And um, yeah, like uh, this is, I like that kind of, let's call it, pub disco kind of feel been some similar spaces in uh yeah in other in other cities and yeah i quite like it like i say it's, it's like a nice change from the really like glossy uh you know dress code kind of stuff that you sometimes get so you can just kind of enjoy and makes everyone super friendly as well pub disco i'm taking that forward as a genre now as well <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That, pub disco is great um, yeah yeah Fantastic. Anyway, thank you so much for sharing. Um, let's move on and talk a bit about Climate Emergency Manchester. Uh, it'd be really great if you could give us like a bit of a whirlwind history about how the group, how the, would you call yourself a group? Would you call yourself a community or a, maybe that's, yeah, what, what is like Climate Emergency Manchester? And can you give us like as brief as you can, well, not as brief as you can, in as much detail as, as needed, the, the history and the background of the group and then your involvement in it as well? Yeah, I'll give you a little little whistle-stop tour. Fortunately, my involvement is quite similar to the group's history as I was um, not the first, but kind of in there at the start. So uh, I guess we kind of formed around May 2019. It's one of those things where we're like, when, when do we mark our, our birthday? But we're kind of saying March, between March and May 2019. 
Um, and that's that's when I got involved um, with a couple of others then. And at that point, we we had our main aim was to try to get Manchester City Council to declare a climate emergency. And sort of strange to think now in a kind of moment when lots of organisations have declared a climate emergency. But at that point, it seemed quite a dim and distant prospect. Mm -hmm. um, and then things kind of moved quite fast in 2019. So as you'll recall, that was the kind of Easter where there was um, the kind of Extinction Rebellion in London. Mm -hmm. Greta was uh, out there speaking, um, getting a lot of media attention. Mm -hmm. And also kind of crucially for Manchester over the kind of late spring, early summer, quite a lot of other cities started declaring a climate emergency and uh, Manchester doesn't like to be left behind, doesn't like not to be, not to be first. Mm -hmm. So for those reasons, more than our pressure, although I think that chipped in a little bit, Manchester did declare a climate emergency mm -hmm. in July 2019. It was a lovely day, it was sunny, it was a nice piece of political theatre, everybody was very happy. Mm -hmm. um, but we knew then that kind of as a group, as Climate Emergency Manchester, that was almost kind of then when the real work needed to begin, declaring an emergency is quite straightforward. Mm -hmm. The actually, are you going to keep your promises? Is this going to be a series of nice, nice deeds, nice words, but not actually transferring to deeds? So since then, our we've kind of clarified our focus and it's much more about implementation. Are you doing, are you doing what you said you were going to do? Uh, one day, I think there was two things I want to pick up on there. Uh, one, um, you said obviously Manchester, you know, declared this emergency. Was it a case of, yeah, so it was just, it was doing it because everyone else was doing it. So where does like Manchester rank for you in terms of like cities which take the lead and take the initiative um, when it comes to um, climate issues? You know, do you, are there any cities you're seeing in the UK or around the world which are really like a beacon of how you should be running a greener city? and does Manchester just do these things when it's pushed or I, have you ever seen like real forward thinking progress when it comes to creating like a greener Manchester? The problem with Manchester is the gap between its rhetoric and then the reality. Mm -hmm. So if you were to, well, there's some new posters that are, that are kind of out this week, but if you were to kind of, play a like a little bit of attention you would think oh Manchester's doing really well because there's lots of glossy material there's kind of ad campaigns occasionally there's something in the in the local press so you would think it's you, you would think it's pretty pretty good mm -hmm. um they like you know leading the way they like to have a first in there you, you can play a sort of a bit of a, a bingo with uh with their statements or with uh, some of their meetings it's one way to keep yourself yeah. amused but then it, in reality it's it's not that nothing is is happening at all it's that it's not with a sense of urgency it's mm -hmm. not fast enough and it's just this gulf between what's being um sort of spoken of and what's actually happening mm -hmm. we've as climate emergency manchester kind of pick up the, the sort of history again over the past particularly over the past six months we have kind of taken on other projects which are beginning to kind of compare Manchester to other cities um, and we're doing more of that working with um, sort of other similar groups in other cities which is is really nice and what our kind of like early 
early research into this has shown is that there isn't this kind of one perfect city in the UK that we all just have to to be like um, you know some of the uh, ones that people often think of as being quite green cities like Bristol sure yeah they are doing some good measures and um, when we've kind of sort of tried to do you know rankings we would put them above Manchester but it's a bit too simple just to go they're perfect they're getting everything right um the kind of scale and the nature of the challenge is such that um not every not every city is going to be doing it perfectly across all fronts so probably more than be like them what we're probably trying to achieve is a bit more of a kind of culture change where cities exchange ideas and admit when things that they're doing are not going quite as well and be a bit more open and transparent about that mm -hmm. yeah it's really interesting what you said there as well about um you know creating like real change when faced with a bureaucracy like the council which is in my last podcast when i spoke to trees not cars they they said similar things about like turning that ship is a really slow hard slog um because it's you know, people put these these things in place uh, and then they just won't won't move in light of any new evidence that comes up um so like how do you sort of deal with that um you know you've got we've now declared this emergency which it's not great <laughs> it's great that we've declared the emergency but it's not mm. it's an emergency but then how do you how do you start trying to make real change and how do you how do you start getting the council to listen and moving at a pace that you want um, we are going to talk about the seventh scrutiny committee i'm going to get on to that we can mention that in a bit mm -hmm. are there any other ways and how, how do you deal with it personally because it must be quite frustrating at times having to you know i i almost think in a way when it comes to the climate now um i don't really like using this term but like a, you know the, the planet needs to be put onto a war footing where things need to happen now and very very quickly and then when you're when you're getting sort of loads of middle managers and committees how do you sort of stay positive and get over them hurdles and keep pushing yeah no i know ex exactly what what you mean and i guess one thing that we've tried to do is we we produce these kind of like quarterly uh reports of where we think the, the council's progress is at um independent partly because the sufficient information is not being provided to us about the level of progress and one thing we try and look out for is when a certain actions basically business as usual which can mean something that is is being done but is this just with that same like kind of you know speed that you describe and that other groups like trees not cars have found so we try and kind of say is this what you'd be doing anyway are you there's quite a lot of kind of double counting sometimes of existing um existing stuff but as well as just kind of like us sort of pouring over it which isn't kind of you know it, it's not just about a small group of people doing it i think the other way to kind of try and make a difference is, is more people kind of learning uh, getting up to speed on what these kind of structures are and actually you don't have to you know be an expert on the bureaucracy but you can kind of sort of learn what's what and it's a kind of bigger problem even than just Manchester like I don't know about you but um you know I was never taught anything about local government mm -hmm. in school um 
you know, even people who maybe, you know, kind of follow the news, quite political, um, probably think of things just at maybe a national or maybe even an international level, but kind of what local government is, is just not very well understood. Mm -hmm. Ask most people, they'd probably say bins, council taxes. Mm -hmm. um, so just taking a bit of, you know, time and we're, we're trying to kind of produce resources, guides, help support other people who kind of want to understand a little bit how the bureaucracy works. Because if you don't understand how it works, how are you going to know which are the, the, the kind of the pressure points? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're talking kind of longer term aims for Climate Manchester, Emergency Manchester here, but for like me and I think several of us in the group, like a sign of, a sign of success would be that there are kind of individuals, other groups who are kind of following some of these meetings and papers. And that might be on issues that aren't to do with climate like you know it's not a kind of oh if you're not scrutinizing on climate we don't want to talk to you actually the opposite so you know if there were some um group or some individuals who you know were concerned for example maybe about what the council was doing about homelessness okay which which meeting do i go to who where's the kind of responsibility like which are the kind of pressure points what powers do they have um and it's going to make any campaign more effective but um yeah it's it, you need to, the first time i went to a council meeting when they were happened in, in real life i went with uh, a friend someone i knew and i whether you're watching it as a webcast or um or, or or at some point going in person like it's much better done with somebody else um to kind of talk through it even if it's the first time you know for both of you, you can kind of share notes again at the end so you know they're not they're not user friendly should we say or not not public friendly <laughs> yeah yeah, I like what you said there about uh, you. I, I never got taught anything about local government in school either. And they, they maybe even do that on purpose when they set the curriculum because it's, yeah, mm. I, you know, I pay council tax. Uh, I vote for a local MP, but that's about as far as it goes. And that I can see how that is a very blocker, a very big blocker to actually making real change because, yeah, it's, it's looking so difficult to know who to actually go to about these issues. Um, yeah, fantastic. Let's actually zoom in onto your current campaign now. Would mm. already? Um, you're petitioning Manchester Council for a seventh scrutiny committee dedicated to climate change. So I suppose yeah. I've got a few questions here. What is a seventh scrutiny commission? Is there another six? Uh, is this will this be the seventh committee, or is that how this, this this naming convention works? And what do they do? And how will this help improve Manchester's carbon footprint? Uh, yeah, good questions. Um, so there are currently six scrutiny committees uh, and they cover different themes like uh, there's, there's one on resources, one on children's uh, and these are kind of monthly uh, meetings. They happen most months of the year. Um, it's not usually run in August and it's where um, councillors um, have to scrutinize or should be scrutinizing a kind of a like a portfolio of issues now climate change kind of does come up on them sort of you know sometimes there's one in particular one called the neighborhoods and environment scrutiny committee which sort of in theory is the one where climate change you know mostly would fall onto so yeah on paper maybe that looks okay the problem is that in practice, the you know you know how much is kind of going on in, in in the city. There's so many issues, and that was true even before the pandemic. 
these are kind of meetings that are you know shouldn't be more than two hours that's you know councillors are busy they often have jobs they can't you know they can't be in meetings forever and there are just so many issues to get through that with climate change it just often gets either kind of squeezed out of the agenda so kind of rushed through quite quickly or because there is a need to kind of rush through it there's a bit of a sense of like not really asking tough questions because you know if you're looking at your watch and there's 20 minutes to go it's just much easier to go like yeah it looks good looks fine maybe ask one little query follow-up so when as we're we've seen in this kind of period since the um, emergency declaration things have fallen behind things haven't been treated as an emergency there just isn't a kind of like a monthly space for like councillors to kind of yeah zoom in on it actually ask the right the kind of searching questions that are needed um, and in fact this the past two months so for the October meeting and the September meeting at this this current neighbourhoods and environment where climate change is supposed to come up there wasn't any agenda item to do with climate so by having a seventh scrutiny committee and it's seven just because it's it'd be a new one so another way to say it's a new scrutiny committee or a dedicated um, scrutiny committee um, dedicated to climate it's definitely not a silver bullet right you know we're under no illusions that you get this like committee and then you know job done that's it um, but it's a starting point and it's a starting point because then you would have um, a dedicated time each month where climate change didn't have to kind of compete with equally important issues like housing and the councillors could say okay what's happening what's going well and some things may be on track but also what's falling behind what isn't on schedule what can we do um, and yeah that's that's why we're campaigning for for this new committee. Yeah, amazing. That's, yeah, that, yeah. I can I can understand and I can see how climate can easily get squeezed out. You are there's so many issues in Manchester. I mean, the the biggest one that comes to mind outside of climate is is the homelessness issue. Um, so yeah, mm. even and again, I suppose it is putting the the processes in place which facilitate that discussion because pe otherwise people will just ignore it won't they um I, i'm guessing and I, I imagine that's why when you can sit down and just have that conversation um at least they box that time out to mentally think and process it um which is really cool how, how do you feel that campaign's going uh, it's 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 gone really well the past week we've had one of our best weeks in terms of like momentum actually there was um a really a really nice day midweek when um i kind of checked back in on our, our numbers and they were kind of you know we're going up by 10 10 10 so it's been a particularly good week the past week in terms of uh, kind of momentum particularly for online uh, signatures mm -hmm. of course like the big challenge is that uh we are uh <laughs> we're doing a petition in the middle of a global pandemic yeah. um and that was that was not part of the plan so just to kind of clarify we actually set up this um petition just just before kind of things um locked down and that means you know so you, people can sign the, the petition either online um it does take a few clicks and you've got to register on the council's website and there are also kind of 
paper forms. And I guess we were thinking that pre-pandemic that a lot of the signatures we'd be collecting were on paper, you know, there'd be um, loads of events, um, you know, and that would be a main source. And we've still been able to do some of that, um, but always, you know, you know, doing it very carefully and safely and, you know, you just can't have the same same numbers. So we've had to be kind of much more creative about how we kind of get the message out there um, online, which, yeah, you know, sometimes challenges breed creativity and like my, yeah, my CM colleagues have come up with some like really fun ways. Um, I think like my personal favourite one is um, we've, um, we've designed some beer mats that have the um, QR code on um, and a little bit of info about about the petition. So um, yeah, and we've had them in a couple of um, shops and bars and um, you know, particularly as things now kind of maybe look closing down, we're hoping that some of the, um, you know, the breweries that do deliveries deliver them. Um, and it's just, you know, they look really nice and they're fun. But it's also kind of, you know, this message that, you know, we've tried to give them to kind of like, you know, independent bars and, and breweries and cafes and that there isn't kind of, you know, that's supporting that part of the local community and, you know, is, is part of what we do. And there's nothing incompatible about like, you know, caring about climate change and also like sit down for a beer, you know, the two go together. So that's been quite a fun one. And um, yeah the next uh, couple of weeks are going to see me uh, get my get my daily exercise by kind of you know putting up some kind of posters and flyers that we've had designed by um, a really brilliant um, local designer um, called Danny Molyneux runs a little graphic design studio called Studio Dotto and she's just produced like some really witty funny uh designs um i love them there's a big pile of them sitting in my uh, sitting in my living room um so that kind of like you know being a bit more kind of creative and you know trying to get people's attention the kind of the sort of the situation of lockdown and pandemic has kind of forced us to, to do that um and kind of you know whatever comes to the campaign these kind of like you know ideas and designs and sort of like fun little ways which you know, some of them are quite innovative. I haven't seen a campaigning group do beer mats before. Mm -hmm. Hopefully there'll be, you know, some lessons and uh, ideas that we can we can take forward for other campaigns and work. That's really cool. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about that as well is, we, we, we are obviously going to get onto the pandemic in a bit as well. I mean, mm -hmm. we not talk about it. Um, but for a, like a climate emergency, uh, I'd say pressure group might sound a bit intense, but, you know, a climate emergency group, how have you found organising and fundraising during the lockdown? Um, obviously, you've just come up with loads of creative ideas, but do you think uh, the type of fundraising, the type of like um, campaigning you do, does it really benefit from having people people on the ground meeting in, in person? Has the has the pandemic given you more opportunity? Has it been better, or is it? Has it? Would you say it's been maybe been a bit more of a struggle trying to get a message across? Well, running the pan petition campaign, you know, obviously that's required a particular type of thinking because of the need for paper. But I'd say the other type of work we do, um, which is, um, I, yeah, I'd say some of it is campaigning, but a lot of it is also kind of trying to build connections between different um, groups and, um, you know, putting out resources, um, reports. 
I think some of that has been, you know, we've we've adapted and some of that has you know, worked very well in um, pandemic, a bit like, you know, most humans, not just kind of uh, groups. We were, of course, like, you know, not for six a bit in those first uh, couple of weeks in March when there were in-person things that we, you know, might have done or meetings, but we quickly adapted. And, you know, I was talking about this with a, with a, with a colleague and before lockdown and pandemic, we'd, as a, as a group, we'd never wanted to kind of design what we did around like big meetings and events for other reasons that are nothing to do with COVID. The main one is that they can limit the type of people who want to get involved um, or able to get involved. So if you have, you know, uh, if, you know if to, to be involved with a certain type of group or organisation campaign, if you have to kind of schlep into a venue um, in the city centre between 6 and 8pm on a Wednesday night, you know, that's not going to work for everybody. Maybe it doesn't work for certain types of people. Maybe it doesn't work for someone with kids. So one of our core group members um, has two little boys. If we'd had a kind of model of working Wednesday, the only way you can really properly be involved with us is by coming to our, our meetings. That just kind of, you know, that wouldn't have worked for him and he wouldn't have been able to involve and we'd have lost like a brilliant person with a great with a great skill set so yeah we've never been about kind of you know big meetings and in-person events sure you know we, we've done a couple of them but that was never our kind of like core business it was much we've always tried to kind of find ways for people just to you know even if they've only got a little bit of time they're not a kind of you know maybe they're not part of the core group but they've maybe got kind of I don't know, a bit of free time coming up or they say, yeah, I've got two hours on a Saturday morning. Is there a little task? Is there something we can give them um, that would, you know, be interesting for them? Really great for the kind of change that we're trying to bring about. Um, so that kind of, because we'd already done a bit of that thinking pre-pandemic, once we kind of, you know, all learn how to use uh, WebEx, Zoom, Google Hangouts, we actually managed to adapt quite well. Super cool. Um, just before we go any further with the podcast as well, the link to your petition we'll put in the description for anyone listening. And also, uh, I'm going to have to promote myself here. Please hit subscribe if you're listening on um, SoundCloud or on YouTube. Um, yeah, because you'll get more great conversations like this. <laughs> I'd like to um, move on a bit now. Um, you mentioned it there with uh, you know this sort of remote working um, angle and obviously campaigning. You know, not with like big meetups. Um, and it's something I've actually just put down on my notes now because it came to my head when you were talking. How do you feel automation and sort of technology are going to be helping? Will they help climate change or will they hinder climate change? You know, again, we'll talk about the pandemic in a bit, but everyone's working from home. So is that a boost? Is that going to help in the long term? And how, how do you see technology's influence on our ability to tackle the climate emergency? Yeah, that will, uh, you know, remote working, for example, would definitely, you know, help. And you could you could make an argument plenty of people had that, you know, less less kind of commutes, maybe people who work internationally, less international traffic, mm -hmm. that would kind of reduce emissions. So there's definitely a kind of a valid, a valid kind of train of thought there. Mm -hmm. um, I think the point, though, that we kind of want to convey with anybody is that the that 
climate change isn't waiting for a kind of technological solution like it isn't that kind of well, we don't need to do anything now we don't need to change our behaviors and then hopefully some kind of clever people in a lab somewhere will invent something that will that will solve it as well and actually a lot of the things that are really going to kind of serve us well because it's going to be a, a long slog um and you know there's nothing about you know we're not stopping this we are kind of mitigating it adapt adapting to it a lot of the things are actually like very low tech so having stronger kind of communities a kind of thicker kind of civil society as kind of actually you know knowing our our communities our neighbors better it's those kinds of like networks that I say I think are going to be, you know, give us again more of a chance of seeing through through those things um, than a sort of one technological development. Amazing. That actually brings me on quite nicely to the next point. As you, you said there, like, you know, we, we can't sit around for people in a lab to solve this for us. It's something that as a society we need to work at together. So with that in mind, like, how do you view the Moonshot Award that was announced the, a few days ago with uh, David Attenborough and Prince William? Um, similar to a Nobel Prize where you'll get a, a million, I think it's a million pound. So five people get a million pound every year for the next 10 years to think about you know, innovative ways to tackle the climate emergency and tackle pollution. Is is that just a bit of a publicity stunt? Do you think that's going to help? Do you think, obviously, that's, that's not the solution, is it? We all need to make changes. But, um, you know, what's your, what's your take on that? Uh, I think you've just put it like, really well into words then. It, it, it's not the solution, and it is a bit of a publicity stunt. But that ne isn't necessarily like, a bad thing, as long as we don't confuse it with it, that being the kind of answer. Mm -hmm. If it, you know, if if because of the people involved and the kind of the you know the media promo around it if that gets some other people kind of you know interested concerned and then looking into something you know that's fine as long as we don't think that that's the kind of the answer um and on a lighter note like when i on one level i'm kind of happy about it because i didn't uh, i put the radio on whichever morning it was announced and um i heard the interviewer kind of talking in a very somber voice about david attenborough and i was like no no david attenborough isn't dead is he no <laughs> um, you know there's a bit like you know if you, when you put on the radio and you hear you know yeah. that time in uh you know that that january when bowie died you know i had a similar kind of like flashback so there was a momentary relief I was like oh good no, he's just doing a moonshot campaign that's fine um so yeah you know that would have been that would have been uh, actually there's still plenty of 2020 left to go but um yeah that would have really put the nail in the coffin for 2020 for being a terrible year for me but um yeah you know his reach and publicity is um is is important we just need to kind of not assume that again somebody else is going to take care of things for us mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned Barry. Don't tell that was 2016. I think I think every cultural icon in the history of the world sadly passed away in that year. So let's let's not try and repeat that. Um, but, um, no, there's enough enough of the stuff. Going yeah. On. <laughs> um, so yeah, I suppose that brings me on. I'm just going to change my question order around here because this makes sense to go next. If you're listening to the podcast, you're getting a bit of a look 
through the looking glass here at the, the prep of the show. Um, so yeah, I think it's something that often gets asked when people are talking about climate change, but you know, on one side, you know, we need to have a societal change which is left, led by government, but on the other hand, we all need to do things as individuals. Uh, and I always thought, the way I always approach it is it's better to do things imperfectly, but do things that will help tackle your own sort of carbon footprint and your own um, impact on the planet. So where is the balance in your head? Do we, need to, do we need to mainly focus on making governmental changes or is it something that we can do led by community and led as individuals or is it a mix of both? Mix of both, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to say it's just, oh, you know, don't have to bother with that bit of it. And the government, even that, like, you know, broken down. So, you know, what we're focused on is local government, but there are some things that are in the scope of national government. And there are some things that actually need to happen at a, an, an international level as well. So we can make changes in our, in, in our own life, but I guess, uh, and we should, but I'm just kind of what we're sort of always on the lookout for a bit as well is... Um, passing the buck so other kind of political leaders kind of saying well you know it's up to you you've got to change your habits and behaviors and putting the kind of you know the blame onto others and that is particularly um dangerous when it's expected that everybody in society can change their uh you know their behaviors their their daily habits equally they can't and um we know that the 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 poorest in society are already going to suffer more from um the effects of climate change they suffer more in every crisis mm -hmm. so measures that further kind of punish them push to the, push the blame more onto them are um yeah they're not they're not the kind of socially just future that we're looking for no cool, thank you Really great answer. <laughs> um, I suppose we can't continue this podcast without talking about lockdown and the pandemic. It was always going to come up. Uh, I've tried to put it off as long as possible. <laughs> Let's get in and discuss, discuss that. Um, so how has the pandemic impacted your work at Climate Emergency Manchester? Um, what, are the wider what have the wider implications been for the environment? And in the long run, is this good? Or is it, is it bad? Or is it just a thing we get through and then it's business as usual? Uh, and when I say business as usual, I mean it's business as usual for you, campaigning for change. Um, yeah, what's your take? Yeah, so I think we've talked a bit about how it's affected us as a kind of organisation. Um, in terms of how it's kind of, you know, there's a, there's a hundred and one, maybe a thousand and one kind of blog pieces out on the internet about you know is is covid you know good or bad for climate change it's almost like a little kind of like genre in its own right i think kind of where i'm at with it is seeing like it a bit as a bit more of a kind of like a catalyst that makes things other things that were already happening uh you know need to happen faster and there's definitely a kind of you know there's some kind of you know disruption and and a, and, a, and a moment but for kind of campaigners and kind of local groups what we've what we've already started doing but going to need to do and actually all citizens should do the same is keeping a watch on all these moments that are going to be kind of 
some have already happened but going to be coming up more where um is there going to be a kind of a a change or is it going to very easily just slip into like you said how things were before mm -hmm. and we've already kind of like had a little bit of a we've had a, a first version of that in in manchester where there was a kind of a window of opportunity for things to be different we saw how things are different and then in the end they didn't and that is of course around like pop-up cycle lanes mm -hmm. um which you know there was a there was a kind of a, a moment in the kind of late spring early summer when um traffic levels had been reduced and this kind of um temporary infrastructure could have been um you know put up there just as some people were starting to well more people were starting to go back to work but before the travel travel traffic levels are really high so you know if you're a kind of a first time or a, a nervous cyclist you you know that was an ideal time it was also kind of you know coming into summer so it was a good time to try and get get people um starting to make to make that shift there'd been a change the weather was good but it was just not handled well and actually that's a little bit of an understatement um we produced a kind of a report on on uh, everything that happened called cycles of contention um we do like a pun at climate emergency manchester um and like other people who like a pun uh but yeah it just kind of showed that through sort of uh, you know not not choo not choosing to act correctly but also um the kind of the, the council leaders not actually kind of communicating what was happening uh correctly that sort of opportunity was lost and even when other boroughs outside of manchester other places in greater manchester were kind of asking to cooperate so that you know say for example someone living in you know stockport but needed to get into manchester city center could get in um yeah that kind of like sort of cooperation and consultation didn't come about so that now seems like you know it's a, it's a small case study but it's a bit of a it's a little bit of a dress rehearsal microcosm because you know there there is there are some in cycling infrastructure improvements planned you know it's a little bit patchy going to take time but i think we've lost that moment to kind of get those people you know at least using this temporary infrastructure now so we're on the lookout um for, for moments like that when there seems to be something and then it kind of you know closes back up yeah that um brings me really nicely onto the next question i want to ask you which was about post-covid um and we've already mentioned it a bit here in a very broad sense but you know how do we move forward as a society to create a greener and better world and i think a lot of the time when we when people like when we speak about climate change there's a lot of hypotheticals and we always sort of look at it from a really big um like a macro perspective and a really big lens but i was hoping you might be able to give us like three practical changes that you'd like to see local government make uh, and then i might tack another one into there like what can we do now as individuals to 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 help and become part of the solution yeah so um i always like to focus on like kind of practical concrete suggestions and in fact some of our reports that we've done at climate emergency manchester have actually been a kind of like crowdsourced practical suggestions that we've you know put before councillors haven't always had a response on them but we've definitely supplied them with kind of concrete ideas because you know it's very easy for you know to be to say oh you know you're just complaining about things so yeah i mean i'll uh, i'll answer your question um and give you kind of three 
sort of concrete examples, but perhaps, you know, of course, with the caveat that these are just ideas and that none of them alone are the, the solution. And also with some of these, you know, it's not that um, local government can necessarily just say this is a thing, but they have policy levers which can encourage some of these things. So one, um, and this is an idea that actually um, we talked a bit earlier about different cities and um, you know, this is the idea that the first one is the idea of 15 minute neighbourhoods. Um, it's kind of taken off in quite a few other cities in Europe, um, Paris, um, they've got um, quite a cool mayor, Barcelona have an even cooler mayor, both female, interestingly, um, and they've both kind of come up with this idea of like, you know, 20, 15 minute neighbourhoods. Now, the idea for that is that, you know, in an area you should have access to kind of like most of the like services that you need on the sort of day-to-day -day basis you know there'd be some things it couldn't it couldn't cover and that just kind of you know limits journey time but also kind of you know potentially brings about uh you know greater sense of uh kind of yeah neighborhood mm -hmm. a kind of related one is um increased use of kind of cargo bikes for deliveries so one thing that's definitely happened in um lockdown for some people is ordering a lot more stuff mm -hmm. online um which means you know sometimes i look out the street and there's just like dhl vans coming like you know non-stop all day um but for that kind of like final mile of of deliveries you could um you could get that delivered and there's already been like you know some sort of increased use of that kind of um, means of transport. So um, yeah, near me in um, Chilton, there's um, a really brilliant uh, organization that's kind of set up during lockdown. One of these ones that kind of started out as a bit of a kind of immediate response to the pandemic, like a mutual aid group, and is now like evolved into a slightly bigger operation. It's called um, Chilton Bikes. And they deliver, they do deliveries from, um, you know, local shops um particularly focusing on those that are kind of you know uh shielding or isolated or not able for whatever reason to go out but that's kind of beginning a little bit more to you know to slightly normalize a cargo bike um as a way of doing that you know i see people not be surprised when they see this bike with you know um you know bread loads of shopping in it going along and yeah that would be quite a kind of you know simple step for kind of last liveries rather than um yeah the van from a warehouse in stretford just driving over <laughs> to me um and then another suggestion which um again it's not a it's not a it's not the answer but it's on our mind because um we've just had um a really brilliant new volunteer join our petition campaign she's um she's just finished her um, doing a master's looking at repair cafes. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of got me thinking about them. And, um, you know, I, I actually attended a few um, just before lockdown. So if you, anybody who's not aware of them, like a repair cafe is kind of like an event that's held and you can take something kind of old and get it kind of fixed. And um, yeah, I've been to them and they're kind of, you know, they're fun. I got my DAB, my beloved little DAB radio, which I thought was gone, fixed at one in February. But at the moment, they're kind of a little bit, you know, one-offs, you know, so they may be held like monthly. And if that was a kind of a, if a repair shop was a kind of a, a you know, a normal thing you'd see, you'd see in a, in a run of shops, you know, I don't know, you'd have a, your boots, your co-op, 
and then the repair shop again if we take in some of those other ideas like the 15 20 minute neighborhood you know something's broken do you chuck it away or do you walk down the street take it to the repair shop see if they can fix it and um yeah it was a reduced consumption potentially but also you know train other people to repair stuff as well upskill people create jobs that are about repairing rather than just consuming so yeah three little ideas um nicer ones you know those alone might sound a bit utopian but um they are they are concrete and some of those kind of things that people can get behind um alongside you know so it's not all just kind of things that are going to make our life difficult and worse and cuts we have to make. Yeah, cool, yeah, really cool. Um, and the last question I've got for you, which is, um, it's obviously a big one and I don't want to leave it on a big heavy note, but it's the right question to ask last. Um, are you optimistic then or worried, um, you know, beyond just COVID, uh, the climate in general, it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty heavy question, but on like one to 10, are we worried or are we optimistic? Um, you know, how close are we to the point of no return? Yeah, well, we're already past the point of no return in terms of we're past, you know, a, a certain level of kind of global heating and destruction is going to happen. So this is not about kind of reset. It's just about trying to reduce the worst effects as much as we can mm -hmm. how optimistic i feel about that varies the kind of what's the scale is one is one optimistic and 10 worried or which way around are we going yeah i should have <laughs> i should have clarified that let's say uh one is super worried and 10 is super optimistic okay okay so i think we're probably varies from day to day but we're kind of probably hovering around a two or a three um four on a day but that wouldn't be because of what i thought about the wider kind of climate situation it probably would be have gone up that little bit because i'd had a good chat with someone like-minded we talked honestly openly maybe talked a bit about emotions and that sort of sense of you know fine you know in it together and forming a connection maybe buoyed it up but um yeah i'd probably then read another report and it might go back down to the two. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, that's, 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 that's a note to end the podcast on, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, we can't hide from this, can we? It's not something that we should we pretend is not happening. And I think we should be worried. Um, I mean, I'm worried. I think maybe going back to what I said earlier, what, I think we reach a new point of no return every day. And it feels to me like we're definitely in damage limitation phase now, as opposed to, as you said, going back to, what it was before because you know it's not going to slow down anytime soon um but we can all do things to improve and we can all do things to help the change so um, that's exactly yeah yeah and one last thing i wanted to ask you is um for anyone interested um and wants to get involved in climate um climate climate change emergency manchester Climate, climate emergency manchester sorry <laughs> climate emergency manchester how can they get involved um do you have resources? We'll link to them up in the show notes that go along with the show for anyone listening. But how, how can people help? Yeah, there's lots of ways that people can become involved. Like when I was talking earlier about we're not just about based around meetings. Mm -hmm. You can kind of 
help out with us on a particular project that might be a report creating a resource mm -hmm. at the moment you know help with the, the, the petition maybe you know be that sharing on social media flyers through the doors but even beyond that there's always going to be small ways to help that don't necessarily mean you know you're some kind of you know you know you can do something for a cars carrying member you can just work with us a little bit and then you know it isn't or nothing the best first point to call is probably our website which is your link to but is www.climateemergencymanchester.net we've got a get in touch form you can also just do contact at climateemergencymanchester.net dm us on twitter lots of ways um some of our best sort of projects things that i think have been like most fun made the most difference have actually been people who kind of came to us like expressed interest in doing something about taking action on a local level and then us kind of working together so um anytime we'd love to hear from you amazing so yeah i'll put all of the links into the show notes for anyone listening uh and it was really really great chatting to you today chloe um yes so yeah nice talking to you yeah it's always yeah it's a it's a nice way to start a saturday afternoon um <laughs> yeah, for anyone listening this was recorded on a saturday in case you're listening on the wednesday um but yeah and the weather's actually looking surprisingly good now so i think i might go out and uh have a nice day what are, what, are, what are you up to for the rest of the day or yeah i'm going to go out but like i said from for the next couple of weeks every time i go out i'm gonna have to take a bag of flyers with me as well so um some yeah some some lovely people in my walk will get some very very funky neon flyers about climate change to their door this afternoon cool yeah. anyway so um again thank you so much for coming on the show it was really really great to speak to you um and yeah i hope you have a great a great saturday so you I'll too in a bit i'm thank you for listening to this all my friends podcast if you'd like to be kept in the loop with future shows or episodes, you can hit subscribe on YouTube or follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks. See you again.